in this closing session i want to read a verse from 1 john chapter 2 verse 28 1 john 2 and verse 28 it says and now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming here it's speaking about being ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ that's the great event that's going to take place very soon when we hear of all the evil that is happening in the world around us which brings fear into many people's hearts tornadoes wars famines earthquakes and above all tremendous amount of deception in Christendom false prophets false teachers and a great falling away from the true faith the true faith is that which is proclaimed in the first promise in the new testament the first promise in the new testament is found in matthew 1 verse 21 you shall call his name jesus because he will save his people from their sins not just forgive their sins but save his people from their sins today jesus is being proclaimed as forgiver not as savior they call him savior but it's not savior i asked them has jesus saved you saved you from your dirty thoughts no has he forgiven you yes then call him forgiver don't call him savior has he saved you from your anger no but he's forgiven you your anger right call him forgiver don't call him savior he's not your savior what has he saved you from has he saved you from an unforgiving spirit has he saved you from an unloving attitude has he saved you from the love of money he's just forgiven you forgiven you forgiven you and say christ my forgiver has been a falling away from the faith which proclaims that Jesus saves us from all sin the first promise in the new testament the second promise in the new testament is in Matthew 3:11 he will baptize you in the holy spirit and fire this is how the new testament begins two very important promises he will save you from your sins in Matthew 3:11 he will immerse you in the holy spirit and fire the fire of heaven and christendom has fallen away from that they don't preach anymore that jesus can save you from your sinful habits that jesus can save you from sinful words sinful attitudes sinful thoughts they've devalued jesus to the place where he can only forgive 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 If I were to go to a non-Christian and witness to him and say, you know, we've all sinned so much, 
But Jesus died for our sins. And He can forgive us. And He says, that's good. But I have another problem. Can I keep fighting with my wife, yelling at her. Can He save me from that? And if you haven't been saved from that yourself, you'll say, well, He can't save you from that. He's not that powerful, but He can forgive you. And he says, I've got another problem. I watch a lot of dirty pictures on the computer. Can he save me from that? And you say, well, he's not that powerful. He can't save you from that. But he can, if you do it, you can forgive you. And he makes a list of sins like that. And you keep telling him, no, Jesus is not that powerful to deliver you from that. But he can forgive you when you do it. He'll say, you keep your Jesus. I don't want him. Let me go and find some other God who can deliver me from these sins. This is what I mean. A false gospel. That proclaims that Jesus forgives, but he can't save. Even though the very first promise in the New Testament is, he will save his people from their sins. Dear brothers and sisters, you must be a testimony to that. That you should be able to tell people, Jesus has not only forgiven me, he's saved me, and he's progressively saving me more and more and more and more every day. And that he's done this by immersing me in the Holy Spirit. Putting me under this river of God that flows from heaven. That is another thing that has been counterfeited all over Christendom. When people think, hear the phrase baptism in the Holy Spirit, they immediately think of some fanatical extreme things that they have seen. People falling on the floor and all this rubbish. You never Things you never see in the New Testament. In the New Testament, when people fell down, they put their head down before Jesus. Today, they do the opposite. They show their feet to Jesus. I know from an Eastern culture, that when you show your feet to somebody, you're insulting him. That's what people are doing when they say they are slain in the spirit. Some evil spirit. They show their feet to God and the devil laughs and says, God, look at what these fellows are doing. They're showing you their feet. No one in ever in the New Testament ever did it. Or in the Old Testament. Job worshipped God. Abraham worshipped God. They fell down before him. You don't see that now. And there is a word in the Bible to do the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus, when he found people lying down, he lifted them up. Many times. Lame, paralyzed people lifted them up. Today people are pushing them down. There is a word in the Bible for that. To do the opposite of Christ, it's called anti-Christ. That's what it is. And there are very few people who got the boldness to proclaim it. Christendom has drifted away. There's been a great falling away from the faith. Look at the amount of divorces there are in so-called Christians. Pastors standing up who are divorced once, twice. Look at the the dress of the world that has come into Christian women in so many churches. Look at the way the songs they sing in the spirit of the world. All these things are a drift away. It doesn't surprise me. Not at all. Because it says in Second Thessalonians in chapter 3, chapter 2. Please listen to this. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 1. We request you brethren... With regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. That's called the rapture. 
when Jesus comes, we're going to be lifted up. The dead, our dead loved ones who died in Christ will be raised from the dead. They'll come out of the graves and together we will be lifted up in the air. Our bodies will be transformed in a split second to become like His body, perfect body. And we will meet Him in the air to welcome Him to this earth. It's like a child running out to see his dad who's gone away for many years and coming back home. And the children run out and say, Welcome home, Daddy. We go up and welcome him to come to this earth to establish his 1,000 year reign on earth. And he says, Concerning this coming of Christ and our rapture to him, don't be shaken or disturbed because, verse 3, let no one deceive you. The main warning that comes in relation to the coming of Jesus Christ is deception. Let no one deceive you. That day will not come until there's a great falling away that comes first. So what is the preparation for the coming of Christ? It's not just wars and famines and earthquakes. There's going to be a falling away from the faith in Christendom. And the Antichrist will be revealed. And then Christ will come. Let no one deceive you. We read also in 1 Timothy in chapter 4. The Holy Spirit specifically says that in the last times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits. So again and again the Bible speaks about falling away. Turn to 2 Timothy 3. Paul tells Timothy realize that in the last days last days those are the days we are living in difficult times will come because it says here that verse 13, evil men and deceivers will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. He's speaking about the last days, this whole chapter. And there will be people in the last days who hold, verse 5, a form of godliness. I told you about religiosity, but who have denied its power. Avoid such men. There are going to be many people in the last days who have a form of godliness. That means the doctrine is right. They preach right things. But they don't have the power to live a holy life. The power of godliness is missing. The form of godliness is there. That's why I often say, and I keep saying, don't just listen to the words a man speaks. Try and sense his spirit. Is it a spirit that leads you to holiness? Or is it a spirit that encourages you in your sin? Is it a spirit that tells you, well, you'll always be defeated. You'll never get victory as long as you live in this earth. Is that the spirit you hear? Or is it a spirit that challenges you that Jesus can save you from sin? That He's able to keep you from falling, it says in Jude 24. You remember the story of Peter when he turned his eyes away from Jesus when he was walking on the water, <clears throat> it says he began to sink. He didn't sink. 
The word there is he began to sink and he said, Lord save me. Did the Lord save him or not? Immediately, he stretched out his hand and held him. Keep that picture in your mind, all of you. When you're tempted to, to sin and you feel you're falling, say what Peter said. Lord, save me. That's what I've done numerous times when the pressure of temptation has been so great. Lord, save me. Don't just forgive me. Save me. And he held him. We must have many experiences like that in our life so that we can boldly proclaim to others, Jesus is my Savior, not just my forgiver. So, but evil men will go from bad to worse. We see a lot of evil men today who are very bad. I'll tell you what's going to happen in the future. They're going to be worse. The world is not going to be better. Jesus said, the last days will be like the days of Noah. You read in Genesis 6, there was a lot of sexual sin. In the days of Noah, there's a lot of violence and hatred and murder. People killing each other. The equivalent of all the people shooting each other that you hear, read of every day in this country almost now. Somewhere or the other. Somebody is killing a family or somebody is killing someone or killing policemen and all types of things. It will go from bad to worse. Like in the days of Noah. Particularly in the area of sex and violence. The last days will be like the days of Noah. Movies will be about sex and violence. And you watch them, you'll partake of that, that spirit. But, in the days of Noah, there was someone else also. There was a Noah. And so in the last days, there will be people like Noah on the earth before the coming of Christ. What was Noah known as? Second Peter, it says he was a preacher of righteousness. Noah, Second Peter 2 verse 5. He's called a preacher of righteousness. A very important word. In the last days, there will be preachers of righteousness. May God make many of you men like that. You young people. Make Noah your example. The whole world was saved because it says Noah found favor with God. He walked with God. And he was a preacher of righteousness. I don't have time to show you all those verses. Genesis 6 says he walked with God. And he was a preacher of righteousness. You can't be a preacher of righteousness if you don't walk with God every day. It's not just a question of studying scripture and preparing a sermon and coming in, vomiting it all out. No. It must come out of our life. Righteousness must be in your life, in your daily life. You have overcome Satan in the battles in temptation against him. And you preach from your life. A preacher of righteousness. Noah was a man who had only three sons. All of those sons were with him in the ark. There will be people like Noah in the last days. All of whose children are disciples of Jesus Christ, like their father. 
Those three sons had three wives. They were married. The wives were in the ark. Noah was a man who brought up his children in such a way that he taught them to marry godly women in the midst of an evil world. The world was full of evil. But his children married godly women. They were not like Lot's daughters who just married from Sodom. There will be men like that in the last days, the days of Noah, who have trained their children and warned them not to marry ungodly women. And the result was the whole family formed a church. It was a house church. It was Noah and his three sons, four families. It was a house church with four families. There will be house churches in the last days with four families, God-fearing people, preaching righteousness. And because they preach righteousness, a lot of people will not join them. They don't want that in their life. That's how the last days are going to be. That's what it means when it says the last days are days of Noah. And Noah was not a paid preacher. In the last days there will be people who preach taking care of their own families with their own work, working with their hands and supporting themselves. That's Noah. And we need a lot more people like that. People who work to earn their living and serve the Lord and have house churches or if it grows larger that fine but who will not lower the standards of righteousness and the result is his whole family is saved. Isn't that interesting? We look at Job and the Bible speaks about his family and we look at Noah and it speaks about his family so important in the last days to preserve our family that not one of them is lost. There's a, there's a song we sing. Will the circle be unbroken? It's a picture of a family standing in a circle holding hands here on earth. And in heaven, will that circle be unbroken that not one is missing there? Someone who held hands with you on the earth in your family home and there's a gap there. If there is one like that in your home, fall on your face before God, father and mother because things are going to go from bad to worse and say, Lord, there's nothing you cannot do. I want you to bring that lost one back so that the circle will not, will be unbroken when we stand before the Lord. Turn back to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. When Jesus appears, there are going to be two groups of believers. Because he's talking to little children. 1 John 2:28, Little children. He's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to my little children. That's how he begins that chapter 2 verse 1. Little children. John was 95 years old and he was speaking to believers who were Almost like his grandchildren. He says, little children, abide in him. Remain in Christ. Don't go outside Christ at any time. Don't go to a place where Jesus can't go with you. 
Don't practice something which Jesus can't do with you. Abide in Christ. I was once visiting a one state in India. It's a little difficult to access and not many preachers go there. And when I went there, I had a week of meetings there. There were a number of believers there who trusted Jesus as their Savior, but most of them smoked cigarettes. I was quite amazed that no preacher had ever come in here and told them that they should give up that habit. But they were such good people. So, I wondered, how can I tell these people to give up smoking cigarettes? What is the best way to preach it? So, I said, we must do everything in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Fellowship means we hold hands together and do it together. And I said, I've seen very often, and I'm even when I'm standing at a bus stand, when, or if you're uh, some worldly friend, if he takes out a pack of cigarettes and starts smoking, he'll always offer one to me. Do you want one? That's what all cigarette smoking people do with their friends. And I say, no thank you. So I say, you must always go with Jesus Christ, wherever you go. So next time you take your pack of cigarettes out, offer one to Jesus. And say, Lord, this is a really good cigarette. It's not the ordinary type. Uh, with good filters and all, please take one. And if you think he will take it, go ahead and smoke it. I said, that's the way a Christian should smoke cigarettes. Not all by yourself, along with Jesus. And I said, if you're watching a television program, make sure Jesus is sitting next to you and watching that. You think it's a very interesting program? Say, Lord, this is really good. You've got to watch this program. Or if you're listening to some music, make sure Jesus is sitting there and say, Lord, have you heard this one? This is really great. You should watch, the, listen to this music. Those bass guitars, you should listen to it, Lord. If he says, no thank you, I want to get up and go, you better get up and go as well. Otherwise you're not with Jesus. So the next day, my translator, it was a lang- it was, I wasn't speaking just in English, it was translated into the local language. So before the meeting, the next day, the translator came up to me and said, Brother Zach, I've decided to stop smoking. Oh, really? I said, I never told anybody to stop smoking. He said, no, he said that, you said that you shouldn't smoke if you can't offer one to Jesus. And I tried offering one and he wouldn't take it. So I just, (laughs) so I stopped. (laughs) I said, wonderful. It was, I, I was so thankful that the Lord gave me the wisdom to say that in a gracious way. And I saw the result immediately. The same thing applies in every area. I don't want to go to a place where I can't go with Jesus. I don't want to sit watching something which I can't watch with Jesus. When I sit at the computer, I sit at the computer frequently, I have Jesus sitting next to me all the time. I only want to watch what He can watch with me. I only want to read what He can read with me. Keep yourself pure. In the last days, there will be As Christ comes, it says here in 1 John 2.28, when He appears, we must have boldness. That's one group of people, 1 John 2.28. And there's another group who shrink away in shame at His coming. It's very clear. There's one group that says, 
Lord, wonderful, you've come, I'm ready to meet you. And there's another, oh, he's come. I'm not ready to meet him, there are things unsettled. I thought he's not going to come so soon. They shrink away and want to disappear. Which group will you be in? If Christ were to come suddenly, which of these two groups will you be in? That's delighted. Because, not because you're perfect. None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. But I can say one thing. My conscience is clear. There's no sin that I've not confessed. My conscience is absolutely clear. When I say your conscience is clear, it must be clear, it means that every known sin you have confessed to God. Don't worry about the unknown sins in your life. There may be many. God doesn't ask you about them. That you discover. What I've found is that when I was first started walking this way of victory, whatever known sin there was in my life, I confessed, asked Jesus to cleanse me and my conscience was clear. One year later I discovered new areas of sin in my heart. Selfishness, new areas which I didn't know before. And new areas of pride that I didn't discover before, then I would confess that and that would be cleansed. And then i go another year and i discover some more areas which I didn't know before. It's just like a child going from first grade to second grade to third grade at every level is learning something new which he didn't know the previous year. And then he goes to the fourth grade and he's learning lots of things he didn't learn in the previous three years. That is Christian growth. And so we confess only what we know. You know, if you do a... I, I don't know how you do your... I don't know whether you have examinations in your homeschool programs, but in, in India we're not permitted to homeschool. They go to regular schools and at the end of the year they have a question paper which they have to answer to pass in order to go into the next class. And they will never be asked a question of things that are to be taught in a higher grade. They'll only be asked questions that were taught in their grade. No other questions. So the Lord will not ask you about things you don't know. Don't sit back and say, there might be so many unknown sins. Yes, there are unknown sins in me and you. But He won't give me a question paper beyond my grade. He'll give me a question paper according to what I know. And if I have confessed what I have known wrong, my conscience is clear. And next year when I go to a higher grade, I'll discover new things and I can confess those things. This is progression. So don't ever beat yourself saying, I don't know so many, there may be so many things. There is nothing. If you know, you confess it, your conscience is clear and you keep your conscience clear. Every single year you can keep your conscience clear. Every single day you must do your best. The Apostle Paul said, in, I'm just telling you, the way you can have boldness when he comes and not shrink away. It's if your conscience is not clear that you'll shrink away in shame when he comes. But if your conscience is clear, you'll have boldness to meet him. Turn with me to Acts of the Apostles, chapter 24. There again, it speaks about the coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes, there's going to be a resurrection. The dead are going to be raised. All our loved ones who love Jesus and died and who are with Him in spirit. Their bodies are here on the earth. They're buried in the grave. But their soul is up there. Their spirit is up there in heaven with Jesus right now. But when Christ comes back, that soul will come into their body, which is in the grave. 
And it's all dust there, but the dust will once again be formed into a perfect body, just like the body of Jesus Christ, and you'll recognize them. And they'll be raised up along with us. It's called the resurrection of the righteous. There's another resurrection, the resurrection of the wicked. Those who are not born again, that's going to be much later. When Christ comes, it's the righteous will be resurrected, only. And it says here in Acts 24, Paul is giving his testimony. He says, verse 15, I have a hope in God, which these other people who are accusing me also cherish. And that is, what is it? There will certainly be two resurrections. A resurrection of the righteous and a resurrection of the wicked. And that's certain. And I want to be in the resurrection of the righteous. That's what Paul is trying to say. And because I want to be in the resurrection of the righteous, that means I want to meet Jesus with boldness when He comes. What do I do? In view of this, verse 16, I do my best. Not to study the Bible, but to keep my conscience blameless. In other words, I study the Bible to show me if there's something that disturbs my conscience. That's the reason I study the Bible. Don't study the Bible to get sermons. Don't study the Bible to win Bible competitions. Study the Bible to see if there's sin in your life. That's why I study the Bible. To... Maintain a blameless conscience before God and before men. You know, the cross has got two arms teaching me that I must have a blameless conscience before God and a blameless conscience before men. Jesus died to give me a clear conscience before God and before men. What does that mean? That if there's a sin, I sinned only against God. Maybe in my thoughts. I say, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't have to confess that to you or anybody else. I say, Lord, I had a bad thought there or I had a bad attitude towards that brother. I had a very critical judgmental attitude towards that sister. Please forgive me. I don't have to confess it to anybody else. Lord, that look was a look of lust or this other thing I did was wrong. It's only before God. But then there are other sins which we can commit against people. Maybe you spoke rudely to somebody or you hurt someone in some way. Or your children disobeyed your parents. Then you have to confess it to that person. You have to ask God to forgive you. And you have to ask that person and say, Will you please forgive me as well? I'm sorry for what I did. Now sometimes that can be a bit difficult. But that's where God tests our humility. Are you willing to humble yourself? That's what he's testing, you know. It's sometimes it's very easy to confess to God. We say, oh, it's so easy to confess to God. I say, Lord, I'm sorry. But it's so difficult to go to that, go to your wife and say, I'm sorry. Or to go to your husband and say, I'm sorry for the way I spoke. Or go to your dad or mom and say, Dad, I'm sorry for the way I spoke to you. And I'll tell you, little children, if you find it difficult to say sorry to your dad and mom, here's a way out of it. Write a little note. That's easier. Dear Daddy, Mommy, I'm sorry for what I said to you. Please forgive me. That's good enough. Keep, to keep your conscience clear. You've acknowledged your sin. And 
Jesus cleanses you immediately. That's how you can have a blameless conscience. Every day. Don't wait till the end of the day to confess your sins. Supposing Jesus comes before the end of the day. If you get a thorn in your foot, do you wait till the end of the day to take it out? How many of you wait when you get a thorn in your foot and say, I've got to think about that. When shall I remove it? You had to pray about it. I want to pray about removing this thorn from my foot. That's ridiculous. You don't even think. As soon as you... And you feel it. It's called the prick of the thorn. And the Bible speaks about the pricks of conscience. It's like the prick of a thorn. Pull it out immediately. Jesus spoke about the conscience like the eyes. The eye of the heart is the conscience. And Jesus said, make sure your eye is clear then your whole body will be full of light. He said that in Luke chapter 11, verse 34 to 36. Keep your eye clear. What does that mean? Keep your conscience always clear. Then your whole life will be full of the light of God. And it's like, I like the illustration of the eye. If a little speck of dust, think of a teeny weeny speck of dust, so small that you can hardly see it. One speck of dust gets into your eye. You don't feel comfortable at all. You just, your eye keeps blinking. Do you know what your eye is doing? Automatically like that, blinking so many times. It's trying to wash away that speck. The eye is saying, hey, something's disturbing me. And it releases a lot of tears to wash it, wash it, wash it, wash it. It's an automatic function. Do you know that the eye is the cleanest part of your body? You don't take a shower as often as your eye takes a shower. Your eye is being cleaned with water many times a day. Every time you blink, it's your eye is being cleaned. And the eye is also the most sensitive part of your body. You can touch any part of your body and it doesn't hurt you. But touch your eye. No, don't do it. But if you accidentally do it, you react. It hurts. Because it is the most sensitive part of your body. And Jesus said, keep your conscience like you keep your eyes. It must be the most sensitive part of your life. I sinned. But when we are, before we are born again, we are like people whose eyes are dead, doesn't have any sensation. And then we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes in. And you know what He does? He makes our conscience more and more sensitive. More and more sensitive. And a little prick begins to convict us. That's a sign that you're growing in the Lord. Small little things disturb you. And if you find today that things convict you which never convicted you last year, praise the Lord. That means you're in a higher grade in the Christian life. We should, that's how we progress. Paul says, I do my best because I want to be in the resurrection of the righteous. I want to have boldness when Jesus comes. I don't want to be in that other category of people shrinking away because I didn't bother about my conscience. I want to be... This is the mighty apostle Paul who had written scripture 
who had planted churches, who had raised the dead. And he says, all these things don't matter if I don't keep my conscience clear. You know, you can be a preacher, you can plant churches, and you raise the dead, and you can shrink away from shame. Jesus said that. That in the last days, some will come to me and say, Lord, we did miracles and we cast out demons. And the Lord said, get away from me, I don't know you. Because they thought that serving God and doing all these things is a great thing. No, it isn't. It's keeping your conscience clear that is important. That's what the Lord told them at that day. You didn't keep your conscience clear. You're full of iniquity. Depart from me. How did they become full of iniquity? You workers of iniquity. How is that? How workers of sin? Because the dust kept accumulating in their eye and they kept on. You know, if you, if, uh, you don't allow your eyes to close, there are people in uh, leprosy, there some people in India have seen with leprosy. You don't probably seen people with leprosy. We have seen, seen that my wife used to work with lepers for many years. And when a leper's eyes, those muscles die, you know what happens? He can't close his eyes. Because through leprosy, that muscle has died. And his eyes are open all the time. And it's not a good thing. Because it's not being washed. Dust comes in, comes in, comes in. And his eyes are not closing. He becomes blind. It's not the leprosy that caused the blindness. The leprosy just killed his muscle so that he couldn't close his eyes. And the dust caused his blindness. So Jesus said, keep your conscience like you keep your eyes. Always cleansed. Many times a day, as soon as dust comes in, cleanse it out. You know, just like when a speck of dust comes, what do you do? Even if you're doing a very important work, you stop it, you go and wash, wash it off with some water, because the tears are not, alone are not enough. Or you get somebody say, please blow into my eye and get rid of... You're so desperate to get... Because it's irritating you. I wish we would all have consciences that irritate us like that. It's a sad thing that Christians can do wrong things and their conscience doesn't bother them. They've got leprosy. Little children, you were born with a very clear conscience. Preserve it. Preserve it. Don't tell lies to your dad and mom. If you did something wrong, go to your dad and mom and say, I'm sorry, that was wrong. I did it. Don't blame somebody else. Little things. Keep your conscience clear and when Jesus comes and there will be a resurrection of the righteous, you'll be there. I plan to be there too. And we can meet in the air. What a wonderful day that will be. When Jesus comes. And we'll see our loved ones. We can be with them for all eternity. But you've got to be ready. Keep your conscience clear always, blameless before God and before men. God bless you all. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Like I said in the previous session, make sure you've confessed every known sin. Make sure you've forgiven everybody who hurt you. That's the prick in your conscience. If you haven't forgiven, forgive them. If you need to ask somebody forgiveness, 
ask. If you need to return something you stole, return it as soon as possible. And say with the Apostle Paul, I want to keep my conscience blameless at all times with God and with men. And then I look forward to seeing you when Jesus comes in the air. Heavenly Father, help us all to be ready. In a world where many are falling away from the faith, help us to be like Noah, to stand for righteousness and to proclaim it. Help us to bring every one of our children into the ark and their families. And that together we shall glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. If you would like additional messages, please visit our website at ccfsermons.org. Call us at 855-55-CHARITY or write to us at Charity Christian Fellowship, 59 South Groffdale Road, Leola, PA, 17540. This ministry is supported by your donations. May Jesus Christ be Lord of all.